It still feels weird to hear that music in church, doesn't it? It's kind of strange, like we just walked into an episode of Shark Tank or something. But we're glad you're here. If you are new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church. Welcome. We are very glad that you are here today. And um, we're excited because in this series we're working through on the almighty dollar. We're talking a lot about money issues. And if you're new, we don't want you to walk away with the impression that we're always talking about money here because we're not. But the truth is that the Bible has a lot to say about money. So we want to make sure that we talk about it and live our lives managing money according to biblical principles. Before we get into to our message for today, I just want to remind you about two things that you may have missed if you missed announcements the last few weeks. And the first one is that we have a marriage conference coming up on October 4th and 5th. And Mark Gunger is the best marriage conference speaker I've ever heard. This is not the kind of conference that you're going to have to drag your husband to kicking and screaming. This is actually one that if he misses it, he will feel disappointed. He will be left out because everyone will be talking about how hilarious this guy was. It's kind of like, how many of you were at John Christ last year when we did that? Who came to the John Christ event? Okay, that was pretty fun, okay? Imagine if John Christ had a few more years of experience and marriage and kids to build his jokes off of. That's what Mark Gunger is. So he's super funny. Make sure you register for that at efree.org slash events. It's not very expensive. It will be well worth it. Tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your enemies. They won't be your enemies after they come and see this. I promise you. The next thing I want to tell you about is our Israel trip. There are still some spots left for that. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned this because some people might be thinking, well, if I don't go this year, we seem to be doing this every year. Maybe I'll just go next year. There won't be a next year. We won't be doing this the following year. We need to take a break. So if you want to get in on this, make sure you do it now. Uh, for the next year or two, we probably won't be offering this trip. We'll be focusing on some other things. So if you want to get in on that, please feel free to. The prices go up every year, so this is a good time. And this last spring when we took uh, two bus loads over to Israel. That was so much fun. And the great thing about it, not only seeing the Holy Land and the places where Jesus walked and, and the places where he did his ministry and experiencing all of that firsthand, and it changes the way you read the Bible. It's amazing. But what was so great about it for me was getting to know so many of you who I never would have gotten to know so well otherwise. So that was a really neat part of this. Would love to have you join us if you are able to. And just wanted to let you know that we're not going to offer one the following year and and we're debating probably not the year afterward either. So make sure you get on this if you want to go with us. Okay, let's talk money. Everybody's favorite subject in church. Some of us have lots of it. Some of us have a little of it. Some of us are in the negative. We all have different money situations, and a lot of that is because of how we handle money. I know what it's like to not have a lot of money. Back in college, I had no money. I was a broke college student. I did not know what the phrase disposable income meant. It just did not register. Like, what does that even look like to have extra money that you could just go use to spend on something? I was working my way through college. I uh, had a resident assistant position, which helped a little bit with some scholarships, and I, I had some other scholarship money, but other than that, I was just kind of working to pay my way through college. I didn't have any money. I worked a lot of hours to try to keep my loans as low as possible, but still I was living paycheck to paycheck, eating as frugally as I could. Uh, everything I had was used or hand-me-down or anything like that. Um, nothing was very expensive, and I still was living paycheck to paycheck just trying to get by and not graduate with a lot of debt. One night I went to a friend's house and went inside. We had a, a bunch of friends there were gathering, watching some stuff, and I came back out. The driveway was sloped, and the way my car was parked, the little bit of gas that was left in the tank couldn't make its way to the intake. 
And so I couldn't start the car. My friend took me to a gas station, and at the gas station, I managed to convince the people there to let me pay for gas with a check. Now, that does not happen at gas stations. Gas stations are not known for their graciousness or trust in their clientele. And so to be able to pay for gas with a check, and after I convinced them to let me pay with a check, I said, do you have a gas can? (laughs) And they managed to find a gas can and probably expected to never see it again. I walked out and got my $2 worth of prepaid gas. And I, my friend took me back to my car. I, I poured in the gas. I was able to get up and out of the driveway. I drove back out of my way to the gas station using some of that precious gas that I had just purchased to go back and deliver their gas can again. They were shocked to see it. They thought that it had walked out the door for good. And then I drove home. The next day, I got up, I went to work, and later on, I checked my bank account. And the check had been cashed, and it bounced. And so there was now a $35 fee, and I was $37 in the hole on my bank account. That was a low point for me. That was a low moment. Some of you know what that's like to have just no money, living paycheck to paycheck, not sure where the funding will come from for an emergency that might come up. One time the brakes went out on my vehicle. I had other issues happen where it's like, where is this money going to come from? And I know what it's like to not have very much money. When Jenny and I got married, neither of us had very much money. We were both working entry-level ministry jobs, and in case you didn't know, those do not tend to pay very well. And so we did not have a lot of money. We were basically two broke people that got married, made one broke family. And so for the first six months of our marriage, we actually slept on an air mattress. So every night before you go to bed, you got to make sure you pump that thing up, hope it lasts through the night. There's a little slow leak somewhere. So we slept on an air mattress for the first six months of our marriage. We uh, didn't have a, a table for almost a year after we were married. We didn't have living room furniture, and so there was this business that was going out of business. They gave us, some, they gave us a blow-up couch, which I didn't even know these existed. There was a blow-up furniture couch and a blow-up chair, and that was our living room setup. That was our furniture. It, it looked amazing. And... <laughs> And someone for our wedding had given us these really nice decorative lamp things that were really, really fantastic. Those sat on top of clear plastic tubs as end tables in our living room next to the blow-up furniture. That's what we had. And we had people over, and they would come over and giggle and laugh and sit in our blow-up furniture, and we would, we would talk there. But that's what life was like for us when we first got married. We did not have a lot of money. We actually would have qualified for government assistance, but never thought to ask for it. We just thought, well, we need to live below what we're bringing in, and, and whatever that takes, that's going to mean this kind of food, and that's going to mean waiting to get this, and nothing's new, and everything's used, and you know, we're going to use Craigslist for everything, and just keep things as low cost as possible to live kind of within our our means. For us, entertainment looked like going to the dollar theater for a movie three or four months after it had been released, but we didn't go on the regular nights. That was too expensive. We went on the 50 cent nights. So we went to the dollar theater on 50 cent night, and that was, we just operated our whole entertainment schedule on a three-month delay. So a movie came out, it's like, ah, in three, four months, we'll go see that, and we'll only pay 50 cents to do it. I know what it's like to not have much money, and I know how tempting that credit card is, how easy it is to just say, there's like an infinite amount of money in this little plastic card right here. Just got to charge it. That's all you got to do. It's very, very tempting. And I know that feeling when you look around and everybody around you has the latest and greatest newest stuff. 
And I remember back then, you know, I was kind of operating with this giant sort of laptop that I did all my studies and my work on, and all these people had these cool little thin laptops with the light-up fruit on the back of it, and oh man, those were expensive though. And so I didn't, I didn't have one of those. It's really nice to look around and say, whoa, they've got a really nice car. And man, they've got, some, they've got, they've got couches, like real couches. They've got a bed that you don't have to inflate every day. Amazing, and it's so tempting to want to go out there and spend money, especially money that you don't have. What's really hard to do is to look around and say, I'm going to choose intentionally not to spend money, even though everyone around me and the companies of the world are telling me, in order for you to be happy, you need this. You need to spend more. You need whatever it is I'm going to offer you, but I want your money for it. That's what's going to make you truly happy. It's so hard to choose to say no to spending that money. And that's why we're talking all about money in this series, because God actually has a lot to say about how we manage and spend our money. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. It says that money, the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money that's the problem. Money, we said in our first week of this series, money is just a tool. It can be used for bad or it can be used for good. There's nothing wrong with having more or having less money necessarily. God blesses different people differently. The Bible talks about that. You should never look down on someone else because they have more or less money than you. The question is, are they using it wisely? Money is a tool that can be used for good or it can be used for evil. We said a couple weeks ago that God's economy is not the same as man's economy, but they are connected. God's economy is all about storing up treasure in heaven. Man's economy is all about storing up treasure in earth. And when we talk about that, we're talking about hoarding treasure in earth. But the crazy thing about this is that these two economies are kind of connected. You can actually, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And the way to do that, Jesus says, is one of the ways to store up treasure in heaven is to be generous, to give, to not hoard it all for yourself. That is one of the ways Jesus says you can store up treasure in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead in effect. The economies are connected. He says along with that, that where our treasure is, there our hearts will follow. And the beautiful thing about that principle is we can actually leverage that to help guide our hearts. And so we said this a couple weeks ago, you can use your money to guide your heart. You wanna care more about something? Put your money there. If you've ever invested in a company in the stock market, you probably did not care how well that company did before you invested money there, but after you did, you really cared how well that company did. You wanted them to do well because your treasure was there. If you've ever bought a car, new car, new to you, whatever it is, as soon as you bought that car, all of a sudden you cared a lot about that car. Why? Because you put treasure into that car. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow, but that means you can use your treasure to guide your heart. Very important principle. We learned that personal sacrifice for eternal purpose equals heavenly reward, storing up treasures in heaven. A part of that is the personal sacrifice. So we put that all together and we said that while most people look at money this way, spend is their first priority. I'm gonna spend whatever I have on whatever I need and whatever I want. And then if there's anything left, I'm gonna save a little bit. And if there's anything left after that, which usually there's not a lot, then I might give some. And for most people in this country, that's how they operate. The first priority is, what do I want? What is my lifestyle like? What am I going to spend money on? House, car, all those sorts of things. And the next thing is, maybe if there's something left, I'll save. But if if there's not enough, then I'm just going to spend on what I want for my life. And then maybe if there's something left after that, I'll give. 
And what we said is, according to the principles that Jesus gives us, giving should be our first priority. Generosity should be our first priority. That's how we are to store up treasures in heaven, or one of the ways, and not store up treasures on earth. And so, this is the way our priorities should look when it comes to money. We want to give as a first priority. I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about being a generous person. I'm talking about giving to those around you who are in need. Uh, giving to other organizations and ministries that are really helping people. We want to be generous people first. Kevin talked about that last week. And then we want to save. We're going to talk about that this week. And then finally we spend, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about spending money and how to do that wisely. And we're also going to talk about debt. And I know that may have scared a lot of people off right then, but it also may have identified some people who really need to be here. So we're going to talk about that next week, spending and debt. Last week, Kevin said when we talked about giving, the sacrifices made in love bring joy. When we sacrifice for something, but we do it out of love, not, a, not compulsion, it makes us joyful. It's such a great thing to be able to give and sacrifice so that we can give to other people. It brings incredible joy. He also talked about the four transitions of giving, from not giving to giving, from giving occasionally to regularly, from regularly to proportionally, and from proportionally to giving extraordinarily. And these are not just good ideas. These are biblical principles. All of this comes from God's word. This is what God wants us to do. And so today, we're gonna look at another thing that God wants us to do, which is to save. And it may surprise you to learn that save is actually a biblical principle, especially if Jesus said, don't store up treasures in heaven. What he didn't mean by that was to have a reasonable amount of savings. He meant don't hoard it, don't be greedy. But the Bible absolutely expects for us to be wise savers of money. Saving is a higher priority in God's word than spending. Giving is the highest priority with our money. Saving comes next before spending. I'll tell you how I know that. This is Proverbs chapter 21 verse 20. It says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. And these two concepts are connected. There's a contrast there between these two. One of the things we have to understand is that the Proverbs are general principles. They are not universal rules. So we cannot take this and say, well, this says it, so therefore all the wise people will always have wealth and luxury, and only foolish people will not have wealth and luxury. That's that's not how you approach Proverbs. These are general principles, not universal rules. There's a verse in the next chapter that says if you direct your children onto the right path. When they are older, they will not leave it. You may have heard this as train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is that always universally true? No. There are times where kids have been raised in great Christian families, and when they get older, because they have free will, they have chosen to abandon the principles that they were taught as children. And so it's a general principle, not a universal rule. Sometimes there are exceptions where that this does not happen, and individuals choose to do something different. So with Proverbs 21.20, are there unwise people that have wealth and luxury? There are. There are. Now, chances are if they are unwise with money, they won't have that wealth and luxury very long. But we can always point out some exceptions to this. Are there wise people that don't have very much money? Yes, There are wise people who do not have a lot of money, but if they are wise with money, chances are they're not going to be in poverty. They're going to manage their money well, and they're even going to have a little bit extra left over. And from the world's perspective, that looks an awful lot like wealth and luxury. Because from a global perspective, 
in order to be on the global rich list, this is actually a thing, to be on the global rich list, you have to make at least $32,400 a year. If you make $32,400 a year, that means that you are wealthier than over 99% of the people in the world. Now, chances are that you here in West County either make that or make close to that or have a parent that makes at least that. And so most of us here, to be honest, are on the global rich list. We may not feel like we have wealth and luxury, but wealth and luxury to most of the world looks like having a roof that doesn't leak, um, a limited amount of critters crawling around on the floor at night, an opportunity to have a job, a, a way to get there in the morning, and maybe three meals a day, and every now and then a little bit of extra money for hobbies and maybe some entertainment, something like that. That's not a lot. That's what wealth and luxury looks like to most of the world. And so most people here have wealth or the opportunity for wealth and luxury from a global perspective. It does look different for different people. Wise people don't spend everything they have as soon as it comes in. They save up for the future. And that makes it possible for them to do things later on that they may not have done before because they've saved up. And so now they know that as they, as they spend a little bit on something that they enjoy a little bit more... They have enough in savings to be able to handle the emergency that happens. Whereas according to Proverbs, fools spend whatever they get. They just use it all the time and so they never have the margin in order to do some of the things that they would like to do but they can't do. And a part of that includes giving. So our first priority, according to the Bible, is to give, to be generous people. But our second priority before we spend is to save. Wise people save. Not so we can hoard wealth, not so we can be greedy, but so that we can be wise. So that we can live a life that enables us to enjoy the things. Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes. He says it's a good thing to be able to enjoy whatever God has blessed you with, the resources, the the materials, the, the riches, whatever it is that God has blessed you with. It's a good thing to be able to enjoy that. That's glorifying to God. Instead of living paycheck to paycheck or under a mountain of debt for the rest of our lives, that's not what God wants for us. Now, of course, I have to clarify with that that God doesn't necessarily want all of us to be fabulously wealthy either. That's not his goal for us. That's what he has for some of us. That's not what he has for probably most of us, to be amazingly, fabulously wealthy. Of course, we already talked about how it's all kind of relative. When Jesus told the parable of the talents, have you heard this? Where where the rich man had an amount of money and he left for a period of time and he had these people that worked for him and he gave the one individual a large sum of money and he gave another individual a medium sum of money and he gave another individual a very small amount of money. When he came back, he expected to find out what they had done with that money. And this is a parable Jesus tells about how God interacts with us. And so the rich man came back and he asked the person who had a lot of money and that person had made a lot of money. And so he was commended for that. That was a good thing. And the person with a medium amount of money made a medium amount of money. And he was commended for that, just like the first man. See, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with how much you have. It's not about how much God has blessed you with. It's about how responsible are you with what God has blessed you with. The man who was given a little amount of money did nothing with that money. And so he made nothing at all. And he was rebuked, not because he had little, but because he didn't do anything with the little he had. Now that principle applies to a lot of different things, but it certainly applies to the resources that God has provided to us. Are we responsible stewards of the money that in reality is on loan to us from God? You can't take it with you. 
It is a blessing from him. Are we responsible with that amount, whatever it is that we have? So maybe some of you are listening and you're thinking, well, I am more like the third man in that story. Um, I have very little to work with here. And it sure sounds like a great idea to be able to save and even give. But at the end of the, the month or the end of my pay period, there's nothing left. There is nothing left after I take care of all the needs and the, the, the expenses that we have. There is nothing left for me to save or to give. And there's probably some people like that out there in this room today or watching online. How on earth am I supposed to do this? And this is why we need flipped priorities. We need to change our priorities from spend, save, give to give, save, spend. And there is one simple principle that allows us to do this. It is a biblical principle It's one that most Americans completely ignore. It's very, very simple. Here's what it is. Live below your means. Live below your means. It's incredibly simple. But that's all we have to do. Let me give you some examples. And this is overly simple, but I just want to show you. If this is the amount of money that we are bringing in, and this is the amount of money that we are spending, we would say that this is living beyond our means. And similarly, if this is the amount of money that we're bringing in, and this is the amount of money that we are spending, we would say this is living within our means. But if this is what we're spending, or this is what we're bringing in, this is what we're spending, we would say this is living below our means. It's very, very simple. It's very, very hard to do especially in our culture with the ads that are bombarding us all the time and the peer pressure that we have from people around us. Let me show you where this comes from in God's word. This is from Proverbs chapter six. It says this, take a lesson from the ants. And I just love this, you lazy bones. (laughs) Anytime the Bible insults me, I really wanna know what it's about. You lazy bones. Some versions say you sluggard which really sounds, you know, lazy bones maybe is a little bit better. Learn from their ways and become wise. Okay, what is it that the ants do that the Bible wants us to know? This is what you're supposed to do. What kind of wisdom are we gonna learn from the ants here? Here's what it says. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard. They labor hard, they work hard, they're hard workers, they're not lazy. All summer, Gathering food for the winter. Notice that they have no prince or governor or ruler. They have no leader to make them do this. It's called self-discipline. I've been trying to teach my son self-discipline lately, but he's used to parental discipline. And so when I try to teach him about self-discipline, he goes, really, what? I'm, I'm supposed to discipline myself? It's like, no, 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 no. It's making wise choices even when no one's telling you to. It's making the right wise choice. It's the difference between living at home with your parents where they're saying, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, and being out on your own where all of a sudden no one is looking over your shoulder saying, you have to make sure you're doing this. You have to make wise choices even though you have no leader, no ruler that is forcing you to do that. It is self-discipline. That's what the ants do. What are they disciplined about? They labor hard. They work hard. They're hard workers. This is an important biblical principle. We are not supposed to be lazy people. And I know that there are different stages of life and seasons of life. And there are disabilities and there are all sorts of things that play into this. But the general principle, again, remember these are general principles. 
is that we should labor hard like the ants. There was a time where I had a second job and even a third job so that I could make ends meet and do the things that I wanted to do without ever living beyond my means. Sometimes we have to do those things. We have to work hard, labor hard. Now, why do we do that? This is what I think is the most insightful part of this passage right here. Gathering food for the winter. Why is that so important? Because the ants are working hard and bringing in this much, but they're only consuming this much. That's the only way you can gather food for the winter. They have to eat all summer too, but they are working hard so that they're bringing in this much and they're only consuming this much so that the difference of it is saved up for the future emergency that is coming, the future crisis that is coming, which is winter for them, which is we don't know what for us. This is the principle that Proverbs says we need to learn from in order to be wise. We should not spend everything we bring in or we will be foolish. Fools spend everything they get. The wise have wealth and luxury stored up and wealth and luxury doesn't necessarily look like amazing riches. Sometimes it just looks like enough to get by when that emergency hits, when that crisis hits. We need to learn from the ants and be wise. We've all had unexpected emergencies and expenses come up. A car accident that insurance won't fully cover. We lose our job for several months. We're out looking, trying to find it. We don't have the resources to live like we used to. Uh, Unexpected medical situation with a lot of money that we have to spend for that. Could be flooding or hail damage that comes out of nowhere. Maybe we didn't have the right kind of insurance or maybe not everything got covered so there are more expenses than we expected there. An investment or a business venture that didn't work out the way we thought, so now we're pretty tight on finances. About two-thirds of the people in this country say that if they had a $1,000 emergency, they would not be able to cover it without going into debt. Two-thirds of the people in this country are living in such a way that they are spending at least as much as they're bringing in or maybe even more than they're bringing in and so they have nothing saved up to be able to handle an emergency in the future. And that's what's happening with most of the people in our country. They're living either within their means or they're living beyond their means. Money hits the bank account and whoop, goes right through it, out to whatever's next. Or maybe before it even hits the bank account, there are ways to do that too and to go ahead and spend money before we even have it. We need to design our lifestyle so that we are bringing in more than we are consuming to be like the ants. We are living below our means. So maybe I could buy the $20,000 car and just adapt these numbers to whatever your life situation is. Maybe I could buy the $20,000 car with an 84-month loan, which brings the payments down. It's only seven years, no big deal. Low, low, low payments. And after those seven years, I will have paid about $30,000 for that car that I can now sell for $5,000. You do the math on that. That's not a really great exchange for me. So I could do that technically. It's within my means to make that monthly payment, but it may not be the wise thing for me because it's going to deplete my resources, so maybe I'm just going to go buy the $8,000 used car instead. I'm making a different choice so that I can spend below my means. Hey, the first car I had cost $800, so not not a great vehicle. Maybe we could spend the money to buy the nice big house with all the square footage and the 5.5 bathrooms and all that stuff. Maybe we could do that, but that would be at the top end of our price range and that would really, really make us tight. And so we're gonna scale that back and go for something a little bit more reasonable so that we're living below our means. How many of you have ever done one of those house, how much house can you buy calculators? Anybody ever done that? 
Isn't that fun? You get on there, you plug in your income, and it says you can buy this much house. And you're like, oh, wow, that's really, really nice. Here's the thing. Those calculators are designed for average people. The average person in this country can't handle a $1,000 emergency expense. We are not average people. We should not be buying at the top end of that house calculator. We should take that number, cut it in half, and that's our number. We need to live below our means. And that's relative. It's relative to your situation. You can do this with your phone bill, your internet, what restaurants you go to, the clothes that you buy, jewelry, technology, the media that you purchase, all of that stuff. Just because we have the money to pay for it doesn't mean it's wise for us to spend it all. Fools spend everything they get. Learn from the ant and be wise. Live below your means and save up wisely for the future. We can design our lifestyle in such a way that we make giving and saving a priority to us. Most people don't do that. Most people have spending as their first priority, saving as the next priority if there's anything left, and giving as the last priority if there's anything left. But we can actually design our lifestyle from the beginning by being intentional about it so that giving and saving are first priorities. Now, this is something that someone showed me a long time ago, and it was extremely helpful for me. It's really, really simple. It's, it's so simple that I hesitate to do it, but it was helpful enough to me that I'm going to share it with you. Imagine that these $10 represent my income for the month or year or whatever. These $10 represent my income. I want to show you how most people approach using, managing these, the, these $10, okay? So first of all, I've got to pay for my house. That's an important thing. I need a roof over my head. I've got a, got a great house. I'm going to pay for that. The second thing I need to do is I need to make sure that I'm paying for my car. I've got a car payment. It's a nice car. I like it. So we're going we're gonna to pay for the car. And then I've got you know, food. Got to eat to live. And I like some good food. So we're going we're gonna to pay for some food with that. And food's expensive. It's not, not cheap. So we're going to pay for our food. After that, I've got um, some of the essentials like TV. Got to have, you know, Satellite TV or internet TV or whatever you pay for. Got to have my TV. My phone bill goes in here. Um, that kind of stuff. Internet payment. All that stuff goes in there to kind of enable my communication and entertainment needs. And then I have my entertainment needs. You know, I like to go to the movies. That's a lot of fun. Um, I, I love me some Netflix and Spotify and Hulu and Sling TV and all that other stuff. So, you know, I've got to have that stuff in there. That costs a little bit of money there. There's gas and electricity for, for my house. You know, I want to make sure that I'm heated well and cooled well, so I've got to pay for that. And then uh, I like to travel. I like to go different places. That costs money. You've got to have the gas or the, the plane ticket to get there, and then you've got to stay in a hotel or wherever you stay, buy food while you're there. It's, it's expensive to travel, so I've got to make sure I'm able to do that because that's important for my quality of life. And there's taxes, of course. You know, we all love paying taxes, so got to do that. Taxes. I got $1 left. After all of that, none of that sounded unreasonable, did it? I mean, that, that's all reasonable stuff. I've got $1 left. What am I going to do with that dollar? This is my last dollar. I mean, yeah, I could give it, but this is my last dollar. I could save it, but boy, there's that new phone. Man, that looks cool. Have you seen that? It's got all the neat features and the better camera, and that would really improve my quality of life. I think I want to get that new phone. Or maybe it's a new purse or not for me, for my wife. <laughs> Just to be clear. It was so easy to blow through this money. 
Especially because I started with the priorities as being, what do I need, what do I want, what am I going to spend money on? All of those were good things. None of those were bad things. I'm not trying to shame anyone for having any of those things. And if you can afford them, there's nothing wrong with that. But some people are struggling financially, and the reason that they're struggling financially is because they don't have the right priorities in mind in their life. And some people are living just within their means, but they're not giving and they're not saving, or they're saving and they're not giving, because they don't have the priorities that God has established in his word for our life. And they look at a series like this and they think, yeah, that's great, but I don't have the disposable income to do that. It's not supposed to be done out of disposable income. That whole phrase, disposable income, is the problem. It means after everything else that you needed to spend money on, now do you have anything left to save and give? Do you have any disposable income? That's not treating giving and saving like a priority. What does it look like to treat giving and saving like a priority in our life? Well, I've got these $10 here. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start by giving 10% to God. That's the first thing. Before anything else comes out, before even taxes comes out, I mean, i got to pay taxes and give that on the full amount? Yeah. Before even taxes, that's my first priority. I'm going to give that to God. And I'm going to do 10%. This is 10% of $10. Now, some people think that 10% is the magic number, that in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were commanded to give 10%. It's not actually true. They gave 23.5% around there. And the reason for the discrepancy is because one of their offerings was 10%, but then there were more offerings on top of that. So if you add it all up, they actually gave close to a quarter of their income to God. I'm not saying you all have to do that. You're welcome to. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying 10% was one of the offerings of the Old Testament. It is not a magic number. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, give in proportion to your income. And I'm not even just talking about to the church. There are people around you who are in need. There are opportunities that God will will make available to you if you have that commitment to give where he's gonna bring people into your life and say this is an opportunity for you to be generous and you're gonna sacrifice for them and that personal sacrifice is going to bring great joy. We talked about that last week. There are great ministries out there that are doing wonderful things that you can contribute to and be a part of. We're just talking about being generous people. I'm gonna set aside... We'll start with 10% of my income. Maybe I'll do more later. And then, I got my first priority covered. My second priority is gonna be to save money. Not because I wanna hoard it, not because I wanna be greedy, but because I wanna be wise. Because I wanna be like the ant where I'm not depleting all of my resources so I have nothing left for the future. In fact, it's really, really hard for me to be overly generous with other people if I don't have anything left because I've spent it all on myself and I haven't saved anything. It's so much easier to be generous when you've got some money saved up. And so I'm gonna save about 10% there. Again, the money, the percentage is not important. This is just a general principle. I've got $8 left. Looks a little different than when I started with 10. I've gotta design my life now around these $8 instead of the 10. I've already committed to those. So how am I going to make my life work with these eight? Well, there's taxes. Taxes. Maybe a little more. Now I have $6 left to spend. What I can do and what my life looks like with these $6 looks a whole lot different than it did with those 10. But I took care of my first priorities first. I made sure that giving and saving were a priority first to be wise like the Bible says and now I'm gonna design my life around these $6 instead of the 10. I'm not gonna look at my total take-home pay and say, that's what I get to use. I'm gonna set aside the giving and the saving first and then say, this is what I have to use responsibly. What does that look like? Well, I still have the house. 
Although I need to make the money stretch a little bit, so maybe I don't need as big of a house. Maybe I'm in too big of a house. Maybe I need to sell and move into a little bit smaller house. Maybe I didn't need as much space as I thought I did. And then there's the, the car. And I'm gonna keep my car a little bit longer. I'm not gonna buy a new one as often because that really drains the resources. So I'm gonna keep it you know, a few years longer, maybe let it go for a few more miles there. There's food. I'm gonna buy my food a little bit more carefully. I don't have quite as much to go around now, so I'm gonna be cautious with how I spend it and, and the restaurants I go to are maybe gonna you know, look a little bit lesser on the dollar sign amount and, and I'm gonna be careful how often I go, but this is for food and restaurants and those types of things. I've got a little less to spend on gas and electricity, so I'm gonna keep the, the temperature a little higher in the summer, a little lower in the winter, maybe put on a sweater, something like that. Just gonna make that stretch a little bit more because, because I have to. Again, this is, if you're struggling with this, if you're wrestling with this, how to do this, how to giving, you gotta live below your means. This is how we do it. I don't have enough for the 200 megabit internet connection I've been using. I've probably never used that full amount anyway. I think I could cut back to the 50 megabit and be okay. And along with that, I'm gonna get the cheaper cell phone plan, you know, not the nice, nice expensive one that has all the bells and whistles that I really like, but it, it uses the same towers and it's like half as expensive. So I'm gonna use that instead, save half my phone bill there. I'm gonna get a less expensive uh, internet connection phone bill. I'll skip the movie theater, maybe use Redbox or something. Uh, I figured out this week that for people that go and see, I think it was uh, one, one movie a month for a family of four, if they were to switch that to Redbox, that would save like 450 bucks a year, so I'm just going to do that instead. Got one dollar left. One dollar left for, for clothes, for other items. Maybe we're not going to do a vacation, but we're going to do a staycation this year. Great, we're in St. Louis, that's easy to do. Got lots of cool things to do that don't cost a lot of money, but I'm not gonna spend money on the new phone or the brand new car or the other new things. And not that it's wrong to do any of that. Please don't misunderstand me, but I've got $1 left. And so I can use this on clothes or items that I need or my kids need. Or, you know, I've already got my basics covered and I already got my first priority giving and my second priority saving covered. I've got this dollar left. I actually am feeling kind of generous. I might actually give this to somebody that has a, a need. Because I'm living below my means and I'm designing my lifestyle around this concept of I am not gonna spend everything I bring in. Fools do that. I wanna be wise. I wanna live below my means so that I have extra, so that I can be generous, so that I can save wisely for the future. That only happens if you start out that way. If you wait until it gets to the end of the pay period, the end of the month, rarely is there enough left to say, yeah, this was truly a priority in my life. You have to start out that way and design it that way. Is it a sacrifice? Absolutely. It's a sacrifice. And sacrifices made in love bring great joy. And sacrifices for eternal purpose bring heavenly rewards. And so it is well worth the sacrifice. And if you will do this, if you will approach your money in this way, I guarantee you that you will find so much more satisfaction in your life than had you gotten that new phone or that new purse or that new pair of shoes or that new car. Because when you are giving money away and when you are living God's way, there is something he does where he just takes care of us and watches over us and gives us a fulfillment and a satisfaction that people who don't live this way just don't have. Buying the newest, latest, and greatest thing does not give us the reward we think it does. We, for temporary purposes, it gives us a little bit of a rush and we're like, ooh, I love this thing. And then one week later, we're like, now I want the new one. Buying more and more stuff is not what gives us lasting joy and contentment and satisfaction. 
But following God's principles for managing money, it does. Now, maybe there are some people here, chances are there are a lot of people here that are already doing this, that are doing this fairly well. Maybe this was a good reminder for you. Maybe this is the type of thing that you're secretly sitting there saying, I hope that person over there is listening carefully to this. Or maybe there's someone else in your life who you know needs to hear this. The videos will all be on our website. You can send this to them and say, hey, I think you should check this out. We've got the other messages up as well from the last couple of weeks. But maybe there are some people here who this is a real struggle for. And it's not just a struggle, it's like a crisis struggle. It's incredibly overwhelming for them. I used to do financial coaching with people. And sometimes I'd have people come in with a bag of bills from the last year unopened. Because it was so overwhelming for them. For some of you, that's shocking. For some of you, that makes total sense. I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. It just it brings so much anxiety in my life. And so maybe you need something more. You don't just need to be told, make sure you're not a lazy bones, make sure you're saving up money. You need someone to walk through you with that pro- in that process. And the great news for you is we have people ready to do that right now. This is what they do. Let me show you two opportunities that are available for you or anyone else if you need to take advantage of them. The first one is Financial Peace University. This is a great course that I really think everyone should go through. Um, I I was involved in in leading this ministry area at my last church. I've seen how powerful this can be. The principles are fantastic. Everyone ought to go through Financial Peace University, but especially if you are struggling financially or struggling in debt, this would be a great thing for you to go through. There are people there that will meet with you and help you and walk through this with you. We're going to start this up in September 16th. We do this every year. We'll have a registration for it, and uh, we'll let you know when it's available to sign up over the next few weeks. We'll do some more things in the service about this. The other thing, though, is that some of you may think, man, I've got a really unique situation, or I am in over my head, or I I can't wait that long. I need help now. I am drowning over here. And for you, we have a financial coaching ministry. And so if you need personalized financial coaching that is totally confidential, you can send an email to this email address, financialpeace at efree.org. And we have a team of people One of them would be happy to sit down with you, walk through your budget, look at your expenses and your income and your plans for the future and help you project out a plan that that gets rid of the debt that you have, that makes wise choices financially for the future so that you can live by biblical principles. It's incredibly important that if you need that, you do that. I cannot tell you how many times I've had someone come to me for financial coaching when it was so far down the road that there was almost nothing we could do but sell everything they had. People tend to wait way too long. We have this here ready for you. It costs you nothing. Please make sure you take advantage of it if you need it. There's one last thing that I want to share with you because every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. And if this is your first Sunday, I don't want you walking out of here thinking, man, this church loves to talk about money. Because that is really not our pattern. That is not what we normally do. This is an unusual thing that we're doing right now, but it's biblical we want to do it. What we are all about here is not money. What we are all about is Jesus Christ and lives transformed by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the difference. He's the difference in my life. He's been the difference in so many people's lives here. Jesus is the difference in our lives. And Jesus has a lot to say about how we manage our money. But ultimately, it's not about how we manage our money that determines whether we are acceptable to God. Because the truth is, none of us can be acceptable to God. We all have a sin debt that we cannot pay. And it's really interesting that the Bible talks about our sin, our wrongdoing, our brokenness in terms of financial language. Have you ever noticed that? For the wages of sin, the payment for sin is 
death. It's financial language that is used to talk about the relationship we have with God. We have a debt to God that we cannot pay. It's not like showing up to bankruptcy court and just saying, well, I need to go bankrupt and so we're gonna have to you know, do all this other stuff to make it work, but nothing bad's gonna happen. This is different than that. This is a debt that we owe to Almighty God that we cannot pay back because we all have rebelled against him. We all have done wrong in his sight. We all have committed treason against him and so there is a, a sin debt that we have that we cannot pay and no amount of giving money or money management is gonna take care of it for us. It doesn't work that way. And that is why Jesus came to this earth, died in our place, paid that death penalty, paid off our debt so that we can be free. If you have ever been in a lot of debt, and you got to pay that off, how free did that make you feel? It's amazing when you pay off a debt. I paid off a few different debts, and boy, it just feels like the shackles are off of you. That's what it's like times a million when Jesus pays your debt, and you no longer have that sin debt to God. Doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. It means that your sins are paid for. It means that your debt is covered. Jesus applies that payment to your account on your behalf. That's what we are all about. And so, if you are sitting out there and realizing that you do not have that kind of relationship with God where your debt has been paid and you, you find yourself guilty under condemnation because you have never accepted that payment that Jesus has made for your spiritual life. Then what I want you to do is after this last song that we're gonna sing, we're gonna have people up here that are part of what we call our prayer team and you can come up here and talk to them about anything. It could be something else you want prayer for. But if you want to come up and learn more about Jesus and the difference that he can make in your life and how you can have his payment for your sin that separates you from God paid for by him so that you can be restored in relationship with God and spend eternity with him instead of separated from him, please come up and see one of our team members after the service because this matters so much more than any financial debts or problems you may have. Your spiritual debt is what you need to take care of first. Would you pray with me? God, you have so much to say in your word that teaches us how to live, how to manage our lives, how to interact with other people, how to interact with you, but you say an awful lot about how to manage our money, a surprising amount. And so, Lord, help us to internalize that, those lessons today and to live them out in our lives. And they're probably hitting all of us in different ways. There are things that we need to take from this and learn and, and use, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt us this week that we would not walk out of here and, and forget the lesson that you're trying to teach us, that we would write it down, that we would um, write it into our minds, that we would remember to make changes based on how you want us to live, even radical changes, maybe different than how we've lived our whole lives so that we can make giving our first priority, be generous people, just as you are generous to us, so that we can make saving our next priority, be wise people, saving for the future, not so that we can hoard it, not so we can be greedy, not so that we can store up treasure here on earth, but so that we can store up treasure in heaven, so that we can be generous to others, so that we can live below our means, so that we can live according to your principles. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.